Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. I am Jed Sprague, here with my co-hosts, Evan Fagundis. Hello. And J.T. Chipman. Hello, hello. And this week, we are brave enough. There will be takes as we try to rank all Paul Thomas Anderson's eight feature films. But before we do that, boys, how are we doing? I'm great, man. I've been traversing up and down the uh, the oil fields of California, <laughs> making a couple of stops over in Hawaii, um, you know, make, making the valley my home, smoking a lot of pot. I'm so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm doing well, too. I mean, I, I think everyone's going to hear it and see it here. Uh, you know, throughout the rest of this episode, but we're all really excited, and I definitely am right there with you guys and just being pumped for this episode. I think this week, I'm not even going to talk about stuff outside of the episode because I'm so excited to uh, to be here on the pod, be talking to you guys about one of our favorites, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, so I do want to dig into that. Um, I think Chip teased it out a little bit. Chip, I think you may have you may have officially called him your favorite living director. So. Right. Is is that is that the case? Is is he your number one? Is there no one else in your heart? You know, I have a big heart. I, I have space enough <laughs> in my heart for both of you, uh, well, so I can I can I fit in PTA and some of his peers along with that. Uh, no, I mean I say that Paul Thomas Anderson is my favorite director alive. Um, I say favorite because I'm not necessarily trying to make a judgment on quality. I'm not trying to say hey. He makes better movies than Martin Scorsese or, you know, Fincher, Villeneuve, whoever, whatever bro you want to throw in there to, uh, to <laughs> compete up. against. You know, and it's that not even because I think he's made eight great movies. It's not even that, like, I think he might have the highest, like, batting average of my favorite directors alive. You know, whatever laundry list that might be. Um, but he means the most to me. And his movies all contain something that I, I flock to and I uh, kind of long for in storytelling. I long for in connection and performance in filmmaking. Nothing is lacking when I watch a PTA movie. Um, no other director gives me that feeling when I walk away uh, in the end credits. So what is that thing then? You said he's got that thing that I look for. What's that thing? It's so many things. I'm I'm cheating when I say that thing. It's ten million things, right? It's it's the way he he shoots so realistically, right? Uh, every PTA movie, there are very he, he's not a guy who shoots a lot of establishing shots. He's not going to go out there and shoot big landscapes or vistas. He's not going to go out there and do a lot of crazy camera tricks. He's got a few. Don't get me wrong. You can think of like the ocean in the master or the mountains of There Will Be Blood. Those are like the, the rare exception, but they stand out so much more. It makes them hit so much harder when you're like, holy fuck, we're looking at these gorgeous mountains right now when all we've done for th three other hours is look at Daniel Day-Lewis's face. Mm -hmm. But the way he shoots Daniel Day-Lewis's face very realistically, almost documentarian style, is so powerful. He's got a very steady camera. A lot of times he, uh, he's got a very good sense of how to push in a camera very slowly onto a character. Mm -hmm. It's so... Ten, it can be either tender, it can be powerful, it can be uh, building tension, it can be relaxing and calming, just depending on the scene. Evan's doing a little heart palpitation thing right now. It's so it's so engrossing. Um, 
And then I guess his style of storytelling and the characters he weaves in there and the performances he, he can get out of them. Um, the fiction that he portrays is intoxicating to me and I relish it and it challenges me. And I can also sink into it. I can watch it with no brain. I can watch it with the highest nerd brain I can muster at this stage of life. Um, so there's like 17 things in reference to the one thing that he has that I like. Love it. Evan, what about you? What's, what's, what does PTA do for you? Oh, man. Um, you know, for me, PTA to me forces me to think. Like, I, even when I try to turn my brain off, but in the best way. I'm not saying that it, it's a chore or monotonous uh, because I don't think it is. But every time I watch one of his movies, even if it's one that I've seen so many times that I basically can, like, memorize the lines as I'm going through, I'm still evaluating how these characters feel and how they're interacting. Um, interacting, I think, is definitely going to be something we talk about a lot. But mm -hmm. uh, so many of these movies, and it sounds funny because that's every movie, right? It's characters talking and interacting, but he seems to give so much thought to how people mm. connect with each other. And, and that's one of the, the things I love most about his movies. And I will say... Going back to what Chip said, I love some camera work, and I actually I think Paul Thomas Anderson is doing a fucking hell of a lot with his camera all the time. Oh my gosh, I there are so many recognizable moves that he makes with this camera. I love especially watching these movies back to back to back. The way he's able to uh, use the same tr camera tricks in like um, you know a, a rom com as he's able to do in like action sequences like it's really amazing what he's able to do and it's so recognizable and yes lots of what he does with the camera comes from martin scorsese mm -hmm. but i guarantee like martin scorsese wasn't the first one to do lots of his camera tricks either he's watching uh directors that he grew up idolizing so it's it's just um while also employing their own tricks no don't get me wrong like paul thomas anderson has stuff that only he does um but it's just a very recognizable way of filmmaking, which is just part of what makes him so special, I think, mm -hmm. similar to the Scorsese's Tarantino's. Like, you can be five minutes into a movie and just be like, this is a PTA. Yeah. You said something really interesting um, about, like, he makes you think. Um, before we got on on uh, recording, I had mentioned it to Chip, and I, I think I might have worded it wrong, that with when I watch PTA movies... Um, I say I, I feel like it takes me out of like having to think too much uh, because I just like trust the hands that I'm in. And I think a better way to put it is I don't have to think about what the director's motivations are. I only <laughs> have to think about what these people on screen are, are doing, thinking, like you said, about their inter about their interactions. Like in a way, it does feel real. These feel like real people. These feel like potentially real interactions. Um, that's what I, I find most interesting. Um, about his movies it's like i don't sit there like you said i'm not like oh he's you know i'm analyzing this shot because he's trying to mask and mirror this thing no it's like at the heart of it what he does really well is he captures humanity um mm. in many in many forms uh as you know his his filmography shows um and i think that's when he's at his most interesting for me is in those interactions um in those moments i think he understands um, and ponders on what it means to be a human being quite often, if I had to, if I had to guess. Oh, yeah, I agree. And oftentimes it's the um, oddness of being a human being, yeah. the eccentricities 
that different people carry through their lives. I think of um, the way characters interact and uh, so much dialogue in his movies is like asking strange questions or like the characters making each other a little bit uneasy, putting each other in, in uncomfortable situations. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, push and pull, you know, mm-hmm. that, that uh, a lot of tension that's built. And that push and pull tension is manifested in so many different kinds of relationships, in authority figures in characters' lives, whether that's uh, a parent to a child. Specifically, we, we see it a lot with fathers, but there's also a lot of interesting uh, mother-child relationships in his movies. There, we, we see in, in a couple of different movies, there is power structures on more of a horizontal level, whether it's like between siblings or between rivals of some kind. There is tension and authority and power weaving in and out and sometimes one end comes out on top but i think you can trace through his filmography and realize that there isn't maybe a clear winner every time there isn't always going to be a a common victor uh in these power struggles he's not always going to capitulate to like one moral side or one moral judgment yeah, that, that's really interesting to think about um, because I think looking for through lines in his movies, right? We talked about like specific camera moves he does, you know, potential themes. Um, when you really kind of just like take a 30,000 foot view of the kind of subject matter he's covered, uh, he's really ambitious, right? He doesn't like stick mm-hmm. to, he doesn't really stick to like, hey, something he, he feels like he knows. He's tried his hand in a lot of, in a lot of things. Uh, Evan, do you think that, like, he's trying to tell similar stories uh, in vastly different environments? Or do you think that he's trying to tell these vastly different stories, but the through line is just, like, him? Does that make does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and I honestly, in my personal opinion, I'd say there's there's heavy through lines in, in the themes that he's using. Mm-hmm. Um He's just putting them in different settings because he wants to make cool movies, right? Like yeah. he he has these ideas that he's working through when he's writing these scripts, um, and he wants to stay fresh and new in like the setting that he's telling his stories in. But lots of his stories, I think, are revolving around very similar themes, um, which often you know come back to to family, like how how your family dictates you know who you are as a person. Um, mm-hmm. Good and evil when it pertains to power, especially not just like you were saying, Chip, not just clean like this is good, this is evil, this wins over this. A lot of it is just like is how does power dictate whether what you're doing is considered the right thing or the moral thing? And can that change when power is flipped? Um, Like I actually wrote down, you know, we talk about Tarantino a lot. One thing that Tarantino is known for, like in Pulp Fiction, is like looking at at. You know, like Scorsese would say, the good fellows, like looking at the other guys, like the ones who aren't in power or aren't considered to be power, super powerful. And how do are they interacting with each other? Like kind of the normal people. Paul Thomas Anderson often seems to return to the characters who seem like they're on top from the outside. The people who from the outside seem like they, they hold this power or have like these answers that other people are looking for. And he examines what that actually means to the person who supposedly holds holds this power, mm. whether they actually hold you know, do hold any sort of truth. Um, yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of through lines. Almost asking the question, like, what is power? Like, what is power? Like, what value Like, what value does that actually bring? And yeah. like, like you said, how can that change over time? 
Mm-hmm. But it's a really interesting, interesting way to think about it. All right. With, with that being said, do you think we're ready to start ranking these bad boys? I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other themes and through lines that we talk about as we get in. But I feel like we need to hop to it because if not, this is going to this is going to get long. I mean, this this almost feels like an affront to Paul Thomas Anderson to sit down and say, hey, this piece of art that you made is better than this piece of art. Um, it, I, I feel I want to I want to just put on a record that I'm apologizing to Paul Thomas Anderson for any slight that I bring to any of the other works. Please know these are eight perfect films. And to be, uh, to be fair, that the, to be fair, the idea of ranking anything is like just an affront to art in general. Yeah. Um, but so arbitrary. I think we can clear we can clearly state that um, with PTA, whatever we decide is not from worst to best. It's from the best of the best to the best that was less best. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I love it. Oh. The best that was less best. You know, All that's right. something that Doc Spartello would say. So <laughs> well, let's, let's start with what's the best uh, of the what's the best less best. Uh, the worst of the best. What I, I need to I need to to hear a tossed out number eight. None of us want to say anything. Um, no. Yeah. I, I I'm I'm torn that. between two. I'm torn between two. I could go wow. either way on both of them. You have is hard eight. The second one. Yeah, that's what yeah, I have. So seven eight. I yeah. have seven. I have those seven eight, but flip. So I have inherent by seven and hard eight. Uh, at eight. Okay. Nice. Okay. What about, you so I have hard eight at eight. So I, I need to okay. break this down. I, I had teased this earlier. I have my I don't have a solid ranking. I have three tiers of movies. Okay. Um I have one tier, which is two movies, and that's at the top. So I have two movies that are one, two, can flip flop that I'm pretty dead set on. Um and then I have uh five movies <laughs> in the next tier <laughs> that i have no clue what order i'm going to put i have a little bit of a clue but i have no idea and then uh the final tier is hard eight which i do have pretty solidly in eighth place which mm-hmm. again is not an affront at all to hard eight i think it's an incredible movie um especially for his first feature um to bring out these kind of performances to tell this kind of kind of bare knuckle story that um honestly has a lot of maturity to it already for a really young guy is impressive, but I do think it is solidly in eighth place. Uh, I I agreed with that. Um, Evan, are you are you good with putting Heart Eight in eighth? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. I I, I want to. I, I mean, want to say something very. I mean, obviously, like we talked about, these are all great films. So one of the the things that stuck out to me about Heart Eight uh, that I want to talk about is how much tension. Speaking of camera work, this is where it almost stood out to me the most. How much tension um, he finds in like the small moments, right. Of like mm-hmm. somebody handing someone something uh, like just lingering on someone's face a little bit. Like there's a, you know, lighting a cigarette. Like there was just so much um, really small things that he makes feel really big and important. And I think that to do that in your first film is quite impressive. But again, I think there, it's, it's really crazy to me that like, this is like the eighth best, but uh, I yeah. think we got to, Somebody Dude, has to be. Flat. Somebody, this man is so fucking awesome for putting <laughs> Philip Baker Hall as the star of a movie. Like I love Philip Baker Hall so much, mm-hmm. and oh my god, he, I mean we should mention too this movie is originally titled Sydney, which is the name mm-hmm. of Philip Baker Hall's character. Which like you can't get much more reverential than that. 
This man, Paul Thomas Anderson, was 24 years old, wanted to make his first movie ever, and was like, I'm going to cast Philip Baker Hall in this movie, and I'm going to name the movie after his character. Like, oh my god, it's incredible. But yeah, this movie is so propulsive, and it's just, yeah, it's awesome. But okay, sure. It's it's incredible. I mean, it's so clear uh, how much influence Scorsese had on PTA from the beginning. People will reference Boogie Nights, I think, a little bit more when it comes to the Scorsese influence, yeah. but it's clear with the camera movement. It's clear with the setting, the way he shoots like neon lights in, in, yeah. you know, in Vegas. Um, it's so jammed full of like ideas. It's way too ambitious for its own good. Like it has so mm. much going on with like authenticity and like fake relationships versus real relationships and like buying love and mentorship and creativity. It's just, there's so much going on. And I find something new every time I could do it with every other PTA movie. But um, for it to accomplish all of that in a short running time almost hurts a little bit. It's it's almost like the tight 90 that maybe should have been three hours, <laughs> mm. which I hate to say because it that's a, that's a thing that, that I care about a lot. Um, but right away we see how well PTA brings out performances from Philip Baker Hall. He he um what he does with John C. Riley in all his movies isn't yeah. this one in particular. He almost makes John C. Riley handsome in a few moments. And this isn't me calling Riley ugly or something like that. But he's he makes he plays to his handsomeness a few times when he's in the suit. And it really works. He he, oh, yeah. he charms me. And then that Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? Just yeah. holy shit. All Four time, minutes right? of of all time against the grain, rebellious counterculture shit unforgettable yeah this movie the the pulp fiction of it all in this movie i have to say like this movie (laughs) feels very much like oh tarantino gets to do this like i want to do that like this is what i've always wanted to do too yeah so i mean they're friends this is the most tarantino-esque yes if you were to run a marathon of pulp fiction hard eight jackie brown back to back to back Reservoir in there, too, yes. But I think that there are things in Jackie Brown that um, Tarantino takes from PTA. Yeah. The small stakes. I love Mm -hmm. the small stakes Mm -hmm. of this movie. Like, lots of his other movies have much bigger stakes. This movie, it's very – I mean, obviously, it's intense what they're dealing with in that hotel room and stuff. But, like, it's not like, you know – it, there's like millions of dollars in the balance or anything like that. It's like Mm -hmm. very much just like situational – anxieties but yeah okay we can leave this at eight we don't need to go any farther on this okay I, so seven okay. is that where we're gonna put inherent vice then i would like to not put inherent vice here so Firmly on for me. on for my pretty original go ahead i was gonna say i'm, I'm kind of in that camp too like if we're talking about tears i had these two pretty firmly in the bottom tier Chip, but i i, I would I'll love to hear here. the case yeah so once upon a time, I agreed with you guys. I actually had Hard Eight, Eight, Inherit by Seven when I did a ranking like a year ago. Uh, I read the book Thomas Pynchon's Inherent Vice and absolutely loved it. It was very difficult, um, not as difficult as some of Pynchon's other work I've been led to believe, but it was it was like a tough read. But I enjoyed getting through it, and I rewatched the movie, and it was a completely different experience for me. Um, I think the first time I wasn't bought in, I couldn't dive into that world i I didn't really understand like the kind of hard noir elements of it blended with the 70s like i I didn't see how that worked and now i do and i'm all in on this movie like this is if i really sat down 
brass knuckles, uh, brass tacks, whatever the phrase is, I'd probably put this in like the top four somewhere. Oh, now I absolutely, absolutely love it. I think that Phoenix is brilliant. I think that the story is so goddamn funny. I think that the plot is actually like pretty driven and actually does move a lot of places. I think a lot of people come to this movie and they say there's no plot. It just kind of meanders. And yeah, it, it meanders, right? It's, um, it's, 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 it's a pop movie. So of course it's going to take its time, but I, I really do feel like it builds somewhere and all the pieces actually do come together and fit super, super fucking well. I think Brolin is goddamn jaw dropping in yes, every scene. That's true. I, holy shit balls, man. Like fucking Thanos over here. What a Lord. Um, but I think too, like, I think it's kind of, okay. So the, the counter, I'll counter my own argument by saying that it shouldn't be the case where you have to read the book to fully appreciate the movie and to understand like the, the drivenness of the characters and kind of their backstory and like fill in some gaps and, and get a little more of that, that high intellect. But um, there, I think I understand why PTA wanted to do this book as a movie because it's so Valley. It's so L.A. and of a time, just like mourning for a time. There's a there's a quote in the movie or in the book, excuse me, where one of the characters is, is talking. They're not talking about L.A. They're talking about this mythical island, but you can see how it translates to L.A. And the character says it called to you guys. And the other person says, I don't know. It isn't just a place. And I feel like that sums up PTA's view of the Valley and of L.A. so well. And this movie is just it's it's a love letter. It's um. It's like a morning love letter to, to something that's passed on. But when you take all those elements together, I fell in love with it this time uh, beyond belief. So I, I, I hear I want to hear the seventh argument, the seventh place argument from you guys. I would say for me, it, it's less to do with with the movie itself and uh, and like any gripes with the movie itself and more to do with the way I feel about the movies that I've slated above it. Sure. Yeah, it's definitely true for me, too. And and, and one thing I will say, look, I, I think this is a very good movie. I think the performances are pretty good. Yeah. This, this isn't exactly what I – I mean, this sounds very selfish, but, I mean, we're doing our own personal rankings, so whatever. Mm-hmm. This isn't exactly what I come to a Paul Thomas Anderson movie for. Like we were talking mm-hmm. about, like, I'm so interested in character motivations and stuff like that. And this movie purposefully is incredibly vague about motivation to the point that, like, you're not actually supposed to have any idea about motivations for certain characters. And that's, like, a product of the story. And I understand why he wanted to do it, too, especially coming off of, like, movies like The Master and stuff that are, like, these powder kegs of emotion and anxiety and, like, mm-hmm. you know, tackling what it means to be, like, an American. Like, you'd want to go to this, like, pot-filled, like, you know, hippie, like, Wonderland or whatever mm-hmm. we want to call this movie, you know, that's, like, slow-moving and methodical. Um, and, like... I feel like I understand what he's going for here, and I really like the movie. It's definitely more about the movies above it, but I I, I will say that um, – I mean, Chip, I hear you, and maybe I, if I read the book, it would help me. But, like, there are plot strings in this movie that do not get pulled together. And, like, er, unless somebody wants to show me something that I haven't seen or looked up or something before, there are definitely plot points in this movie that I feel like do not yeah. – you pulled together purposefully, but that's like Pinchon's thing, right? Like that's yes. like mm-hmm. purpose. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, but, it's, it's playing like even more to those noir tropes. 
um, of hidden motivations and, you know, super opaque uh, uh, intentions and dealings in the background. And it, it very intentionally doesn't resolve a lot of things. Um, and I can see how that is unfulfilling and may be something that leaves you wanting more. I personally find it um, to be more compelling than just as a snapshot, you know, of this time. Mm. Um, where the edges aren't fully filled out. There's so much more around it that we're just never going to see. Um, but I, I, I hear you. I am I will put this at seventh. So what would you I will put do it seventh. very hesitantly. Let's... Well, what I put it, that's the hard thing is like, what the fuck? Like, if <laughs> I say I want, no, if I say I want Punch Drunk Love or Magnolia at seventh, that's fucking heretical. Um, I have Punch Drunk Love at, at six. I... Evan, you also have Punch Drunk Love at six. I do. I do. And, then I, have Mag- and then I have Magnolia at five. So oh, like, wait, wait, wait. Whoa, whoa. Let's slow down. Let's slow down. No, no, I'm, slow I'm just down. letting you know, like, he's, like, talking about what he would put at seventh, and those two are kind of, like, my next two in the order, so I'm, I don't feel like we're that far off. Well, let's let's fi- let's figure out seven and, and six. Like, so, are, Chip, are you saying you're Inherent okay with Inherent Vice, Punch Drunk Love, seven, six? I... Let's do this hesitantly, because maybe there's going to be more trading up later. So okay. I think and we have. Fine. I think hard eight is a lock, right? Yeah. And then the Let's... soft, the softness is inherent vice, <laughs> and then punch drunk love. No. Yes. We can't start. We can't start loosely slotting stuff in at seven. We oh, have yes. to at least get seven. I think top now, five is when is when think, the trading needs to happen. I personally agree. I think there's no doubt in my mind. Hard eight, inherent vice are eight seven. All right. No doubt. <laughs> I here's the thing. I've said my piece, and I have been like kind of anti-inherent vice for a while, and I've, I've spoken my piece about that on Twitter, and now I'm just like flipping. I'm flipping a new leaf, um, a tobacco to leaf, or perhaps a marijuana skull. leaf. What? This is why we have. I said, welcome to the club of the crystal skull. This is why we have three co-hosts. But what's you know what's interesting about this movie? So let's uh, maybe we should do twenty seconds each on like wh- how are we ranking these movies? What we think are the best? What we enjoy the most? Because like what I will say guides my thinking on this is I don't. Paul Thomas Anderson makes a lot of l- really long movies. He does like they're long. It's just in runtime. This movie feels very long to me. Whereas like some of these other movies that are fucking long as hell feel like a breeze almost. That's yeah. part of what guides my thinking, I will say, versus just, like, the quality of, like, how well was this movie made. Yeah, I I don't disagree. Like, I think part of part of what's guiding me, and I'll be honest, like, until we started this podcast, like, PTA was a huge gap in my, in my like, filmography knowledge. Like, I had seen, I had seen, you know, some of his films, but I had not, definitely not seen all of them. So, you know, this, you know, last couple of weeks preparing for this is either visiting him for the first time or the second time a lot of these movies so inherent vice was this is the second time i've watched it and i think i appreciate a lot about it i think specifically the perform like the performances that he gets out of this movie like i i think are the highlight but like i said it's not about this movie in particular it's just the other movies ahead of it draw me in so much more um and i i don't know it's like hard to just it's 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 weird to it's so much easier to be like, no, that I don't think this is a very good movie. But that's mm-hmm. not the case with any of these movies. Right. It's more just like I just kind of prefer this one, and I kind yeah. of it's more of a gut feeling than than anything tangible. I completely see where you're coming from because my gut feeling uh, in the past with PTA movies has been more of the 
I guess more of the pop movies have drawn me in versus maybe the more inaccessible, the master, the more inaccessible inherent vice. Like these are movies that are challenging. Like, and mm-hmm. um, for some reason right now, my gut, my sensibilities are drawing me towards the challenge more. Like I watched this movie and I thought it flew by. Like it was like, I looked down and my Chinese, I had eaten my Chinese and there was 20 minutes left in the movie. I was like, holy shit. I feel like I just sat down. Um, so this is just wow. what's this is just where I am right now. Yeah, I have to speak absolutely. my truth. Um, but, I feel like I have given inherent vices shine. Yeah, yeah you have. it's not an insult to put it seventh. No, that's fair. And I, Perfect. you know, one thing that guided my this movie, the second half of this movie to me is a fucking banger. I love <laughs> when when everything starts falling together. One thing that maybe got this last time that I watched, especially because I was watching them all in a row. I think he has some incredible openings to this to his movies, like best of all time type openings to movies that we'll talk about some as we move along. This opening to me is a little challenging, and I and I was reading a little bit about. It. I see where people go with how how well it sets up the the conspiracy that you get into, but it there there. I almost have to think too much early on in this movie versus the other ones that like throw you in and then kind of toss you the stuff that you have to think about. This one doesn't grab me quite as much, but that's all. That's all I will say. We, you've already considered yeah. the seven. All right. So eight to. is hard eight. Seven's inherent vice. Six. Are we good with punch drunk love at six? I think so. Yeah. Does it, anyone have that higher? I felt really comfortable slotting it in at six. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one person who who wants to give like a little thirty second punch drunk love. Chip, you love this movie. I I do. I love this movie more this time than the last time I watched it. Um, because I I think I had it six or something on my other list. I'm not sure. Um, I think it's so beautiful. I think that the colors of this movie, the blue in this yeah. movie, is so apparent and like literally painted on the walls. It's not like. There's a lot of I think there's actually a lot of Michael Mann influence in this movie, which is kind of weird to say. But if you ever watch like Thief or Heat, there's a lot of weird blue shit going on Mm -hmm. and like with men in suits and cars. And there's just like a couple of like teasing little hints at at Michael Mann movies in in this movie, which I think is quite funny. But um, it is such a compelling portrait of anxiety Mm -hmm. and of how true authentic love and human connection can cut through like really weird stuff in life like borderline absurd abuse that our guy barry is dealing with and trauma and social norms like he is an outcast he's a weird guy he's got a lot of shit going on um but you know love shines through mm-hmm. and it shines through confirm. with lens flares <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, I can confirm that it is that stressful to have sisters. Can confirm. Yeah, sure. There's, um, there is, there, I think there is kind of some, a lot of justice being doled out in this movie. Like the way that Barry will just like beat to shit those, those four brothers with a tire iron. Yeah. Or, um, the way, like, honestly, like, too, the way PTA shoots Barry when he comes into the mattress store, he shoots him like a fucking superhero. Like, there's that, yes. that one shot where he walks in the doorway and Philip Seymour Hoffman's getting his hair cut. And it like pans around PSH and the light is coming through and it's like, oh my God, PTA thinks Barry is Superman. Dude, um, he's like imposing as fuck. Yeah, he yeah, is. Because we've also, that's also following him beating the shit out of the other guys. Mm-hmm. So you had that feeling kind of like, oh my God, like he actually could just come in here and just like beat Philip Seymour Hoffman like to death. Yeah, yes, exactly. The The lighting is amazing. It's so gorgeous to look at. And there's there's another great quote from the movie. 
where he's shopping uh, for the pudding with Lance, and he says, most people don't look. They don't look at the fine print. Mm-hmm. And if that's not PTA, just like, hey, watch my movies, man. Don't yeah. just watch them, but watch them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and that, you know, two things that I wanted to mention in that movie. that caught, One, the the call on the phone with the, um, the like, phone sex hotline is, like, probably top three conversations in pta movie history i don't know like as i was watching them all through that that conversation absolutely stuck out to me i love it so much um and it cuts absolutely to the heart without ever nakedly coming out and saying it cuts absolutely to the heart of the whole like that idea about human connection and how we can achieve it Mm-hmm. Two, the dolly zooms on Philip Seymour Hoffman when we first meet his character. Yeah. First, it's zooming in from the outside of the store as he's standing inside. And then a quick cut to an immediate zoom on the inside of the store to his face. It's like the craziest like combo. It's almost like they had two cameras zooming at the same time, but you can't see the other ones. I don't know. I just – that shot alone like really like caught my eye. It was just like mm-hmm. insane the way he cut that. It was yeah. like cutting to – I don't know. It felt like it was like coming out of a commercial break to like a LeBron James dunk or something like that. Except it was Philip Seymour yeah. behind the behind the counter at like a you know home goods store. I think this is the last time PTA's camera was so quick. Um, there's like yeah, a couple. That sounds moments, right. There's a couple of moments in his other movies. I think in like Phantom Thread maybe. Um, is this 2002, right? Yes. When this comes yeah. out, so it, it, like it feels a, yeah. right. Yeah. That that sounds very right though. Even in Phantom Thread, it's much more. I don't know how graceful it's, you could Phantom, say. You know, Phantom, yeah, Phantom Thread. It's um, it's dancing. The camera's yes. dancing. This yeah. is it's whipping. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah. the zoom is so aggressive. Yeah. The zoom is almost like somebody who just discovered zoom on a camera and is like, yeah. "Whoa, this is cool." You know, yeah. it's just like, like he hasn't it, gone back to that since, which is no. okay. Um, I feel like this is as good a time as any to point out. I personally am drawing a lot from uh, a book by Adam Naiman, one of my favorite critics. He wrote a book called Paul Thomas Anderson Masterworks. It is it's it's kind of like a coffee table style book, um, but there's essays on every film, interviews with like uh, uh, with like uh, the cinematographer uh, Elswit and um, like Vicky Crapes, who's in phantom thread and like a lot of other yeah. contributors and like i think johnny greenwood even is in there so i'm drawing a lot from that i don't i'm not parroting everything but there are several things where like he's really kind of informed so i would highly recommend uh, uh uh digging into that because he opened my eyes to some shit and i don't always agree with like the critical points he draws out but it's it's certainly fascinating to look at so credit where credit's due nice. awesome uh, all right so we got all right so we got we have eight seven six yep. um five and four Let's I talk have, about five. Where do, where do, no, where do you no, have no, five? I personally, because no, because I want to bring both these into the conversation at the same time. Because mm. five, and f- five and four were to me like the toughest distinction, and I basically just tossed it up. I think I'm fine with either of these in either five or four, and that is Magnolia and then the Master. That's exactly what I had at five and four. So let's agree. I will agree with Magnolia at five. Let's start there. <laughs> Oh. Are you serious? Holy shit! I thought Chip was gonna absolutely fight us on Magnolia. So, so I want the balls on PTA Holy to make shit. a movie so, like Magnolia. We're putting it at five, and then let's yes. chat. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. The, the balls on this guy. He's 28 years old when he makes this movie, and it's just like, here I come. Free reign. I mean, it, no it, notes. 
Yeah, I th- this movie is like blows me away for many many reasons, but just like the staggering fact that this man was 28 years old when he made this movie, will ne- I'll never get over that. Like he just like took Hollywood by the the balls and twisted him. Yeah. Like it's just Stones. so it's like it's just grand and operatic in scale and I, I don't know. I. I, this was the movie I struggled with the most trying to like put into words the way I feel about it. I just like, right. I'm almost like, I don't know. I, 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 I hate that this isn't a video medium because I do a lot of, <laughs> I do, I do a lot of body language things on this podcast. Uh, and I, I tend to like stop saying words when I do them. Uh, but anyway, Chip, I, you love this movie. I th- I was surprised that you're fine with this at five. I do love this movie. Um, I, it's not that I loved it less when I watched it this time, it's it's like you guys were saying. I was more compelled by some of the other movies on my rewatch, um, and that meant a lot more to me. But this movie, um, I mean, God fucking damn, right? The range of performances, the lengths that it goes to to bring everyone together and then also pull everyone apart and give everyone kind of their own, not just kind of, but like to give everyone their ending and to give everyone everyone who deserved peace, I think found peace a little bit. I do think there is actually a lot of um, like a decent amount of justice in this movie and tranquility that is found for some of the characters, not all of them, but I think that some of them find a little bit of happiness at the end of this. And maybe the characters that didn't have any happiness at all come away with a bit of a smile quite literally at the end. Um, And that, that does a lot for me. Um, I have so many questions about PTA's childhood, man. And he, he's he's not exactly a recluse, but, you know, his, his father died, um, I think, when he was making movies, or I think he was making movies when his father died. Um, I don't know about his mother. Uh, I don't know anything about his siblings or anything like that. I know he he worked he worked on a game show uh, when he was still up and coming as a producer and assistant or something like that. So that obviously yeah, yeah. his experience. Um but man, there's it's so heavy. This is so this is another one that flies by where it's three hours and um you know before I'm two bites deep into a frozen chocolate banana, yeah, uh, we're already the game show is starting and we're an hour and a half in. Um and I I I adore the risks this movie takes and how much it leans on the ideas of chance and coincidence and how you can trace that out probably to PTA's own views on yeah. itself finding himself in coincidental things and how it, it all just comes together and you can't explain it, but it happened, but it did happen as the, uh, as the saying goes. I love, I love, I love that. Like the, this idea of like it being a commentary on how he feels about like his own, uh, like his own existence. And almost in that sense, it's like, you know, with this movie, right? Like, you know, doing something this bold, this big, this grand in scale, um, it's like he's like, oh, I'm playing with house money. It's almost like that's what he's saying, mm-hmm. you know, oh, to, yeah. to Hollywood at this point. And he's like, and oh, he I'll is. Do, I'll do anything. Yeah, he is. I mean, like we're talking about ages and stuff. He made Boogie Nights at 26 and then was told you can do literally whatever you want, however long you want with whoever you want. And this is what he did. So, yeah, it's superfluous this, as fuck. Like, it, is he's this his even magnum? come out and opus? 
Is this the Magnum? That's what he said at the beginning, but then he's come back around and said, yeah, I probably should have cut some stuff. Like, I was pretty ridiculous (laughs) when I made that movie. Like, he said that openly, which is true as hell. Like, but that's part of what makes this movie maybe so amazing is because it is kind of flawed. And Mm. I think maybe one of the flaws of the movie, but also what makes it so amazing is how personal it is. I think it's impossible to watch this movie and not be like, whoever made this feels very, very strongly about in putting their own like emotion into this movie. And maybe that's why it even comes across as so over the top emotionally and so melodramatic because it's like, that's how it feels when stuff happens to us, right? Like we watch stuff that's sad happen in movies. And even if we cry or something, right? It never feels quite as momentous as like when something actually tragic happens to you. But this movie almost goes that extra. Like, what Julianne Moore is doing in this movie is, like, how my chest feels when something sad in my own life actually does happen. Hmm. Whether or not I actually exhibit that, maybe, maybe not, depending on how how I'm able to hold myself together. But... (laughs) It's so <laughs> getting over a glimpse into your personal life here. No, but it's so over the top what's happening in this movie. Um, and the one thing I wanted to mention first 12 minutes of this movie, like you want to talk about stamping, you know, like I'm one of the best directors of all time. The first 12 minutes of this movie is when that happened. Like it is capital D directing from the like explanation you know voiceover explanations of these uh um coincidental happenings to leading into the introduction of all these characters with the like eight minute rendition of one is the loneliest number like Mm -hmm. that is (laughs) what a picture what a picture i mean what what a picture what the movie's made to me what's your what's your favorite performance in magnolia um tom cruise yeah, you you agree? But Tom I think Cruise is probably where I go. This, this is, is Tom probably Cruise's best movie. Like this is Cruise's best performance. Um, I don't know if it's his best movie. You can maybe argue Eyes Wide Sorry, Shut. Sorry, yeah, I, I would say it's best performance. Like this is when like he's doing speaking capital D directing. He's doing mm-hmm. capital A acting. This is yeah. a movie star Tom Cruise. This is actor yeah. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Um, it's that honestly might be one of the flaws of the movie is that I think Tom Cruise is so clear in a way. And it's not to again. I think there's not a bad performance in the movie. I think every performance is great. Even fucking Lil Stanley, I think does a really good job with his little his little speech he has to give about how we're not your toys, we're not your dolls. I think he does that really fucking well. Um, but I think that Tom Cruise blows everyone off the screen. I think the uh, like, I'm not going to cry for you, you cocksucker. Uh, don't go away, you asshole. Scene is tear jerking. Um, especially considering that Tom Cruise had recently lost his own father, something that PTA was well aware of. Um, that's that the thing is PTA is a bit of an asshole. Um, and I love him. Yeah. We need more, we need respectful assholes as directors, uh, no matter, no matter who that asshole belongs to. Yeah. And he, he really, he digs under Cruise's skin by making him do this. You, it's not hard to imagine that, those tears are very real. And some of the things that Cruz is going through in that scene are um, perhaps too personal that it's, it's a bit invasive, but it never fails to get me. It's some of the best screen acting I've ever seen. Just so fucking raw and ripping under my skin. Yeah. He's great. I mean, yeah, 
Yeah, can't say better. Right. I mean, I, I got to give a shout out to our guy, Philip Seymour Hoffman, though. He is. Well, he's going to get his here. So. Is unreal in this movie. But, he is. Uh, he's amazing. Like someone pointed out, like he's a in that scene that Cruz is, is doing. PSH is in the background. He's still com- someone says he's compelling as a blur com- in the background. I saw the same the same comment. and It's so true. And, you know, w- this movie is known for the ensemble. But if we want to talk about like where. I mean, this is this is like PTA's like how to be a director, like and some of it's over the top, but the amount of whip pans and for anyone who doesn't know what I mean by whip pan is when the camera is on a character in a scene and it whips and it basically whips into the next scene, but it's in a completely different location. Mm -hmm. He does it like 800 times in this movie. I actually like was making a joke that like there will be somebody's crying face on the screen. And for no reason, he'll just fucking whip pan to another person crying in a completely different room for a different reason. Like, it's so outrageous what he's doing. It's like but. it's like when you first discover that you can do animations on PowerPoint and you're just like, <laughs> yeah. let's fucking get it. Like Every slide. Every yeah. slide. New one. <laughs> like, that's yeah. what he's doing in this yeah. movie. This is or the most hours and ten minutes. <laughs> PTA. There's a lot of Kubrick all over this. Like, there's yeah. a lot of specifically 2001 yeah, boss, shows up in several five. of his, but. A yeah. lot of boss baby vibes <laughs> from this movie. <laughs> a lot of boss. Yeah, I, I was born. You guys ever seen that movie, The Joker? For those that don't understand, there's a hilarious meme going around uh, that's been going around for a while. It's like guy that's seen uh, only boss baby seeing his second movie, and it's like getting a lot of boss baby vibes from this. And whenever yeah. there's like somebody that just like throws out like absurd director comps, it's like that's the go-to meme. Oh, I, yeah. saw that to, I saw that today because somebody compared, uh, like, Candyman. They're getting yeah. getting a lot of Kubrick and Nolan vibes from Candyman. Yeah. It's like, okay. Um, yeah. Anyway. Is it, Magno- as in they Magnolia. both were shot with a camera? Like, is that yeah. the vibes you're getting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Both had humans. Mag- <laughs> Magnolia uh, at five. And Evan, you and I both had the master at four. Chip, you disagree with this. I do. I have Boogie Nights at four. This is a movie that means a lot to both of you, um, and I respect that. And I love Boogie okay. Nights. This is where I need to start to get understand what you have at three, then, and two, honestly, because um, this this is where like bargaining starts to happen. Yes. So I have Boogie Nights at four, and I have The Master at three. If then I think I know what your number two is, and I'm almost okay with it because. What I think you have at your number two is a movie that I have just spectacular affection for. Mm. Evan, how do, what's... This, how do we fill this dead air right now? So, okay. I'll, I'll let you guys know that I had... God, it's so hard for me because I my Evan favorite I movie list. to watch of Paul Thomas Anderson's is Boogie Nights. Right. But, I, but I don't have it at number one. I have it at mm. number three. So I have the mm. Master Four, Boogie Nights Three is where I have it. So I have I have Boogie Nights at two. Hmm. Um, but I'm willing to let I, it slide because, as I said in the group text, I think my mind will change on this podcast, and I think the movie that you guys both have at two is a movie that I'm so okay with having it too. That's Phantom Thread, right? That's what I have it too. I mm, I might have Phantom Thread at one. I might. I don't know. Dude, there is no fucking wow. You are wilding. I cannot. I, I thought I had Chip sorted. 
Wow. Oh my God. I, I feel no, that. I mean, that's been. the struggle that I had. I was oh. on the line. It's always been Phantom Thread, There Will Be Blood 1, 2 in my mind, in, yeah. in some order, you know, flip-flopping back and forth. Um, I watched There Will Be Blood. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the best movie of the 21st century of, yeah. of the 2000s. It blows everything else away. And then I watched Phantom Thread, and I am – you know that scene in Pride and Prejudice where Darcy's like, you have bewitched me, body and soul? That's how I feel watching every single second of Phantom Thread. I think it is so – fucking gorgeous i think that it's so it's it's so mature and elegant and patient and the payoff is so spectacular yeah um, Spe- by the way speaking of both of those movies starring our boy yeah. daniel day lewis daniel yeah. Day-Lewis. and no one on planet earth is better at writing in little notebooks uh <laughs> than that man is yeah and as evan said last night as well or putting on socks Mm-hmm. It's quite. Like it's putting it on clothing. It's incredible. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm an oil man, ladies I'm and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm willing. I'm willing. Traveled to, halfway across our state. All right. I'm willing to say, Phantom Thread, There Will Be Blood, one two discussion, Boogie Nights, Master three four discussion. Are you guys good with that? Y- yes. Yes. Okay. That's I'm, what I would. I'm like. so but, okay with that. But. Those are my tiers. Those are the only two tiers I created. So I'm a little, I had it slightly off. I just had, I had Phantom Thread at three just because I enjoy Boogie Nights more than any of those movies. I don't blame you. To me, the filmmaking of Boogie Nights is, I think the, is the best to me. Like, I I don't think it's as important as There Will Be Blood, which is why I had There Will Be Blood at one number one. But, I think it's my favorite. Yeah, I don't think it's as meaningful. Like, yeah. I, I don't think it accomplishes the same, like, reaches the same heights. But, like, the the camera work mixed in with the performances, mixed in with the content of Boogie Nights is, like, maybe the best it's one, combination. Maybe one, maybe, maybe one of, like, the most approachable... Oh, like approachable high oh. cinema movies ever. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Exactly. So like one of the most reason, accessible. Like reason, I think if we're going to split it, I think it has to be at number three. Like I refuse to not let Boogie Night be in the top three. And like, I say that with great affection for the master. Yeah. But Chip, so what's the case? Well, you're the but one Chip is the one who's against that. So I'm OK. Yeah, so Chip, because... what's your case for the master at, at three instead of Boogie Night? Best one. So I think the master First of all, I think it's his best-looking movie. Um, by that, I'm, I'm referring more specifically to the colors, not necessarily yeah. like the uh, like the shots or something like that. I think that the way that skin tones and outfits and water and beaches are colored in this movie blow me away. Um, watching this, watching this on a big TV, like like a TV that can handle it, it's it's almost life changing. Um, yeah. So. I think what's really fascinating about the colors, specifically this movie, what you what you had said. Um, we talked a little bit about Punch Drunk Love, how everything's like like very blue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of orange in Punch Drunk Love too that gets popped in at moments, mm-hmm. and so it's it's like it's clearly in a weird way like surrealistic. Like you know that's not yeah. what the world looks like. Mm-hmm. The master is also not what the world actually looks like, but it's so close to what it could actually look like. That it like 
draws you in. Like you almost believe right. like this is like it's it. Yeah, it's I don't understand. It's like almost like this is what it, the world. It's like a painting of the world. It's yes, very but, painterly. It's ultra it's not, realistic. I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're right. Yeah. So I I do agree with you there. That is like it is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the themes of um like myth making and yes like both deconstruct deconstructing and then building back up like pta is making a movie about the core of humanity mm-hmm. and how you drill down to the parts and separate piece by piece what makes a human and what defines our relationships what builds us up what tears us down um and it's so engrossing to me it's a movie i still don't know yeah. if i fully understand all the way through because there are so much there's so much weird shit going on I also think well, the main the, relationship is confounding. That's so the whole point of the, it. And there's no answer. Why do these two guys need each other? Why do these two guys stick around ever? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. why does Joaquin Phoenix even go back at the end? There's, mm-hmm. He rode off on the motorcycle. He broke away. Why? And How does PSH even know where he yeah, is enough to exactly. call him movie theater? It almost it's it's so absurd enough that when the master Lancaster.psh is outlining in the final scene. We were soldiers together in the Prussian War a hundred years right. ago. That's why it's almost like, wait, is that actually what PTA is going for here? Like you, you, you have to give it a little bit of thought. Yeah. Because it it burrows in your mind so much. Um, yeah. It's a movie I don't stop thinking about, and it's a movie that I think is always going to be a challenge to me. But I I relish that challenge every time, and I come away. It's similar to Heart Eight, to where I come away with something new every time. Um, but it astounds me to a, to a different level. Um, it's got a lot of those same themes of relationship and authenticity and, um, reality being warped, you know, themes Mm -hmm. of like, like literal and figurative poison that we consume to get through life. Um, and I, I do think, I think I like this Phoenix performance more than Inherit Vice by splitting hairs. And then I think it's very clearly, um, PSH's best performance in a, in a PTA movie. So I, I yes. think the thing about this too is I have so much affection for this movie because it's PSH's last great performance. Yeah. Right? Like, and it, it's the best am, one to punch. Am I wrong? Am I wrong to think that like when I watch this movie, I, I think about like what would have been the second chapter like of his career, like after the master, like almost becoming like even more. Mm-hmm. of like a focal of like a focal point um like i just like could see him doing so much and i think it's a it's, lot of that maybe is pro- projection because like he's no longer with us right. and you it's really romantic to think about oh what would he have done you know like types of things like he could have been a bond villain you know yeah like, like well he wasn't i mean you're right in that like even though everyone respected him and knew how amazing he was he wasn't being put at the center of every shot of a movie no, before he this, played, like he, he played Art Howe in right. Moneyball, and he was amazing in it. But like that is not a role that like he like Philip Seymour Hoffman needed yeah. to be in. I mean, in even like if we go back farther to like Magnolia, it's a movie that revolves around basically a certain touch point in like seven people's lives or six people's, and he's not even one of those people. He's right. part of the ensemble cast, but he's not even one of the like. As it's, you know, like one of the quote unquote main characters, like he's mm-hmm. playing off of one of 
six main characters. So you mm-hmm. could say he's like seventh or eighth build on that movie, even though he stands out more than that, in my opinion. Yeah. But like in this movie, it is he and Joaquin Phoenix. And like mm-hmm. I think the fact that it's those two centered, it makes it one of my favorite ensembles of any PTA because it's so centered around these two people. I love what Jesse Plemons does. I oh my love God. what Amy Adams does in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think Amy Adams so, is like almost steals this movie from Philip Seymour Hoffman well, a couple of times, which is like what he normally does. And that's kind of the point of her character in some point because it's right. like it's 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 kind of an internet joke at some point, but it's like oh she's the master exactly yeah. So I mean I actually over the scene over the sink like Amy Adams owns that movie and second straight week uh, talking about a hand job in a movie yeah that's true uh we're a hand job we're a hand job friendly podcast i actually <laughs> want to talk about jesse Plemons for like a hot minute yeah because like it, when i watch him i weirdly feel like he's kind of like the heir apparent to philip seymour hoffman yeah like he literally could like he can like kind of hit on those same beats and it's like i almost feel like it's sacrilege to be like he he's like as good i don't think like he's like Hollywood gives him enough opportunities to make like have as like fun and interesting roles as like Philip Seymour Hoffman got to have like in different like character roles over the years just because of like what Hollywood is now. But he's but, entering that zone, right? He has yeah, like yeah, five yeah. movies coming out over the next like two years. Yeah. I mean, he was a totally agree, Jed, like that, like. He is yeah, as close that, as we're gonna get in this era, I think. Too pops up in like like when I think about Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's like the guy that just pops up and steals the show in every mm-hmm. movie, in like every movie, or steals the scene that he's in at least. Yeah. You know, and like contributes to the movie in a meaningful way when maybe the character didn't need to. Like um, two minutes or twenty minutes doesn't matter. Yeah, 100%. like he's, he's or, or two hours. Time is his. Like it's like yeah. whatever he's gonna give, like you're gonna remember that. Mm-hmm. I'm very so, interested to see because he I I from what I understand is he will be a lead if not the lead in Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. He is the lead. And yeah, that is going to knock your I Yeah. I can't wait. I mean there's a lot of there's a that that's going to be an interesting movie to talk about because there's a lot of like big like kind of shiny uh like castings going on. Oh, Even yeah. in like small parts like uh like Jason Isbell and Sturgis Simpson, uh, who are two like very, very prominent, uh, you know, folk country st- backstroke country singers, mm-hmm. are cast in this movie. As interesting. Just, like, as yeah. I don't I think I knew was, that. Yeah, which I thought was very interesting. Um, I don't know what their roles are specifically. I don't think they're major roles at all, but they're cu- they're clearly like speaking parts and like enough where like both of them had had to be on set for like over a month. Um, so I, I, it, that movie is going to be wild. I think mm. when it comes out, Which, yeah. God bless Marty, but this is a PTA yeah. conversation. Yes. Not, not his, uh, predecessor, but PTA. Um, the so, other thing with, with the master, it's the way that he frames specifically Phoenix and PSH, their faces are enormous. Yes. They take up <laughs> yes. so much space. <laughs> In, in the shot, um, because it's shot in 75 millimeter, right? Yep. Or 70 millimeter. Um, so, you don't, there's no, it, it's just like right up there. There's yeah. barely anything happening above or below or to the sides of their face. You're going to see every pore, every wrinkle, um, yeah. every emotion that they can force out of themselves. Sweat. Uh, 
again, again, so realistic. They're sweating so much in this movie. It's gritty. It's Mm -hmm. so gritty. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about best conversations in PTA movies. Like the the first time that they sit down in the the boat when he made him some of. I mean, when they're doing like their first session on the boat mm-hmm. and they're both smoking cigarettes. Like, I mean, it's funny to call like a PTA movie Oscar bait because I think his movies are too out there to be really considered that much Oscar bait. You know, just because they're not accessible enough, maybe, for a lot of people. But, like, those scenes are literally just, like, if if Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix are knocking it out of the park, like, those scenes just don't work. Because right. it's only their face. And it's literally, like, hey, if you can't look fucking awesome smoking a cigarette, this scene doesn't work. And mm-hmm. they both just murder it. Like, it's, like, astounding. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean... It, it th- these are clips that you would think they would play in like an Oscar 100%. ceremony, right? Yeah, where they're they're announcing like, and the nominees are Walking Phoenix yeah. and and know, it would be like dead silent in the room while they played the clip, like that. I mean, yeah, you 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 see some people who like got uncomfortable. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, because it's this is not a comfortable watch. Yeah, you know, at a lot of points, in in no, fact, it uh, is almost difficult to watch for yeah. for various reasons. I mean. Um, there, there are moments where the score is like a little bit harsh on the ears. So this, this is another running theme from all of PTA's movies is he does a lot of weird shit with percussion uh, mm-hmm. in the score. So a lot of it is Johnny Greenwood or other artists. And there's like a lot of rat-a-tat-tat going on. Or it's like spoons are being played against a fucking skillet or something like that. Um, or there'll be like a screech of a violin or something like that. And it, it'll often be played in scenes where like, characters are just sitting down and talking to each other and there's not a lot of like on screen action but the music is just kind of going fucking nuts yeah and you're like uh, oh, oh my my god something is so wrong here i'm itching in my seat i need to get out but it looks so good i can't look away mm-hmm. um also the fish eye shot yeah also the fish eye shot okay so <laughs> we've made the case for the master at three Right. Uh, let's let's make a case for Boogie Nights at three, mm-hmm. uh, which Evan and I I think agree should be number three. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did a whole, pod- we I did think a whole so. podcast on this that we can go back. I think we're gonna have to do a Boogie Nights Redux. Uh, with yeah, we gotta get Chip with, in on Boogie Nights. Chip. Um, and I so in a weird way, I almost don't want to like deep dive too much because we've already said a lot and i think yeah. there's going to be a lot more to say and i want to do that within the year so hold me to that i mean I okay. should, should a few of the best shots i mean mm-hmm. we have a podcast that talks about shots a lot yeah like in my like a, a few of my favorites of all time like right. like almost back to back to back when we're and we're talking mainly yeah. about the the first Dude, half. the party the party tracking shots are, undefe- are undefeated in when that. the colonel like, shows up like out, out talk rate. about talk about putting you in like a time and a place yeah. it's like i watched that movie and i am in the 70s like yeah i i'm i'm in the 70s it's like there's no there's nothing the, the blocking and stuff is so perfect like oh, man. there are people walking in front of the camera constantly but it's mm-hmm. never a distraction or it never feels like like abstract like it's kind of like oh the camera kind of slipped you know, behind that person because it had to get to this next spot, which is like you know, another. Cool shot. It's like 
that's all supposed to happen. Like, that's all exactly the way it's like, it's the closest I've seen to like the Copacabana or something, you know, like yeah. actually executing right. perfectly 55 people showing up in one single take that the are, fucking craftsmanship of that. Yeah. And the what, control you have to have over your set. Yeah. At, at 26 years old, multiple What's conversations too. And stuff. Yeah. like people are talking the whole time. Like, yeah. Yeah. What's unbelievable about this movie to me is how like, <laughs> He can somehow convey the entire feeling of, like, the weight and burden of talent through Dirk Diggler's dick. Like, literally, like, like there's, like, a lens where this movie is just about, like, the weight of expectation. And, uh, and it's just, like, his dick. Which yeah. Is like, it's so weird and, like, hilarious and like mature by like making like taking such a mature subject and putting it through something that is theoretically like immature yeah his ability to like i don't know it's very like this like when i watch boogie nights i again like we talk a lot about his age and i i I really don't like this like association and normally of like art with with age right because i think it kind of doles um i think it kind of like doles the experience of like partake like taking in it like are we giving people too much credit because they were young um or are we giving them too much credit because they're experienced but this movie feels like such a seasoned veteran making making all the decisions that he makes in this movie and like it's really hard for me to reckon with the fact that he's a year older than i am at this point when he makes this movie. yeah mm-hmm. and like his ability to convey uh experience to convey emotion that feels genuine at so many different like there's all the characters in this movie are going through very different stages of life and dealing with different types of, of transition and change. And I think like, that's like that he's able to make that all feel genuine at such a young age is really impressive. And to me, this is a hundred percent the number one movie where I'm like, Holy crap. This guy has the biggest balls ever. Like he makes, he, he makes, one of the most fun opening hours in movie history and then turns the movie into a straight up horror film for about 40 minutes mm-hmm. with no second thoughts, like no reservations, no like, Hey, we're going to get out of this. Like until literally the very last scene, which again, an incredible tracking shot walking through Jack's house at the end. But mm-hmm. until that scene, there's 40 minutes where it's like, this is hell. Like I'm in hell with these characters right now. You want to talk about the bells, Evan? I want to talk about the bells. Talk about the bells. So when we're, we're, we're talking about the bells, this is the scene where Dirk has fallen from grace and he is now getting picked up in the um, in the pi- uh, pickup by a random man who we don't know. We don't even know what Dirk is doing when he first gets picked up. That's like a key moment uh, or a key part yeah. of these scenes. We mm, don't know what he's yeah. doing. He's getting picked up uh, like next to like an abandoned like, you know, department store or something. And at the same time, they're flashing back and forth to um, um, Jack in the car with Roller Girl. Mm-hmm. And they are also basically picking, trying to pick people up off the street to do this new, like, on VHS, like, sh- random shoot with a random person, like, filming a porno with a random person, essentially, with no basically, production value. Nothing. Yeah, exactly. Like a bang bus situation. And... 
Dirk is getting in this car to what we find out, like he, he's some sort of like escort. He He's going to be watch jerked off. It's going to be unclear whether he's going to get involved with the man that he's with, what have you. But there's literally just this incessant like tolling of bells happening while these scenes are happening. Like a like what what Nolan ended up doing in Inception, except <laughs> it's bells rather than gongs. So it's just like, sure. like dun, dun, yeah. dun, like, and it, and it picks up, picks up, picks up. And then do you want to pick it up from here? Or like, so it's going back and forth. I mean, this is like the climax of like the, oh my God, these yeah. people's lives are the yeah. worst thing you could imagine. It's so horrifying because, you know, they're church bells. Um, yeah. But when you, when you play them on loop like that, it gets under your skin. And then when you pair them with the events that are happening on screen, which yeah. are so terribly unpleasant, um, it's it's it feels sacrilegious and he uses those bells in hard eight as well yeah um during the opening credits um so he one of those things were like okay this is my first movie that maybe yeah. more indie, so i'm gonna i can bring it back for my big i was gonna say he's like or, that was really cool <laughs> yeah yeah he's he's on his own dick um i want to just i'm just this is the the part of the podcast where i just list a bunch of shots from this movie um the the shot where roller girl skates into the back where Dirk is still working and she lifts her leg up with the roller skate. Yeah. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. Um just roller girl in general, man. Yeah. yeah. Roller girl. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very Bad important. Bubble Heather Graham. But, but um, that, that whole scene, uh that whole the whole first scene when they're in the house. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. yeah, you're yeah. Said, Oh yeah. You're oh yeah. Fuck. And like the the slow talk about by the way these i hate calling this a tender moment but like these like, oh it's tender hu- hu- these human moments where where they just zoom in and it's just like his face as he's watching them like you don't see what's happening you mm-hmm. just kind of hear it and you he's smoking the cigarette and it's just like he's watching them and you just see what he like knows what he's got on yeah. his hands mm-hmm. absolutely and it's bubblegum pop music playing in the background it's, exactly oh, it's yeah, it's all God. about it's all about the, the high and the low the contracts because exactly, he literally yeah. says he's smoking a cigar and he says he's smoking he's smoking a very fat phallic cigar and yeah. he says aim it at her tits um and it that's so crass right it's yeah. so nasty but there is a sweetness to it and yes. um yeah. I think that it, it's there's a maybe a conflicting message about sex. I'm not 100 percent sure. It, it there's there's a lot of weird sexual politics in this movie, no doubt. It's definitely a young person. That's the youngest part yeah. of this movie is like his. It's so horny. It's so clearly yeah. like PTA is just is is just young and horny. He's on yes. a lot of cocaine. Everyone yeah. involved is just on coke and just wants to fuck. I mean, he's putting real porn stars in this movie. Like yes. the, he's and he doesn't stop. He puts real porn stars in Inherent Vice. So right. That's true. Yes. He's uh, going to return to that motif. But yeah, talk about uh, more shots, Chip. What else did you have? Oh my God. Um. So PTA, he doesn't have a lot of establishing shots in his movies. He also doesn't do a lot a lot of insert shots he doesn't i guess i should say he doesn't rely on a lot of insert shots or Mm -hmm. like shots of hands doing things he's more focused on faces and if he's going to show a character who's doing something he's going to show like their whole body typically as opposed to like just their fingers um but what he does even even more in this movie he doesn't do in the movies is he goes into the camera um specifically during that first shoot with dirk diggler he goes inside yes. the camera like five or six times to show the film changing or what the reel is doing or how, you know, a, a, a lens is zooming in and zooming out. Um, and he doesn't do a lot of those shots in his other movies. And it's so clear that 
the movie is about making movies yeah. just as it is as much as it is about sex and porn it's about um what a filmmaker desires to do and the tools that a filmmaker is using and um, a desire to create great art so he's going to get into the technical shit of it um and then also i think my final shot that i want to list in this new segment what's the what's the name of the new young porn star that's going to replace dirk oh my oh. gosh did johnny something Oh God! I'm, I can't just, I'm just gonna call him Johnny because I can't remember. But um, he's he's the one who's gonna be replacing Dirk, and it's it's a scene in the club, and it's it's kind of a role reversal, right? Because uh, Jack is sitting there in the club, and Dirk comes over and sees him talking to young Johnny. We're calling him, but the entire screen is red. It is completely lit red, and the camera is at a weird angle. It's like tilted. It, it, it's not quite like a 45 degree angle, but it feels close. It feels like everything is tilting in Dirk Diggler's world, literally and figuratively. And he's seeing red everywhere and he's seeing mm. blood. He's just, he's just fucking furious. And again, very Scorsese, very good fellas. Um, this film is so good fellas. Yeah. But it, I do think, I do think it does enough to take the story in a different direction. Um, the minutia of it and the, the drive behind it that I will go along wholeheartedly with the tracking shots and with the red and with the the, oh, yeah. the arc that the protagonist goes on. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So we got we got to move on if we want to get to <laughs> yeah, the discussion discussion of the the final two. Uh, right, but we have so to decide which order these two are going to go in. I mean, yeah, I've, I've been decided this whole time. Boogie Nights is at three and the Masters at four, and I love you to death, Chip, but you haven't changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get outvoted on this, and then probably on. There will be blood being one overall versus Fanny. I'm star. I might come around. Okay. So I, you, because we talked about it second, I've like talked myself back into Boogie Nights <laughs> at three. Like for well, we were talking about the master. I was like, God damn, this might be like the the best movie that he's made. Like like just as far as like accomplishing something out of nothing sort of situation. Right. Like, but. I don't know. Boogie Nights is just too fucking fun. <laughs> I think there right. there's a world where I think I have There Will Be Blood, Phantom Thread, The Master, and Inherent Vice all in my top four. Wow. See, and there's a world where I have Boogie Nights, Phantom Thread, and There Will Be Blood all at number one in different <laughs> Sure. Lists. I could see that. I, my original list had Boogie Nights at number one because I was just so like... What do I love watching the most? But nice. all right, so <laughs> let's let's recap real quick before we get to the final two. All right, Hard Eight at eight, Inherent Vice at seven, Punch Drunk Love at six, Magnolia at five, The Master at four, Boogie Nights at three. Now we're getting into two and one. Um, mm. I want to. I think we should talk about There Will Be Blood first. Let's flip. Let's flip the script from what we did last time, where mm. we talked about we talked about them. Because I'm actually like I'm almost completely up in the air. Because if we want to throw Phantom Thread at number one, I am like so. I think that might be the movie that I have the most like current affection for. Um, almost only because was it you, Evan, or was it Chip in the group message when I said I'm firing it up? You're like, oh man, that movie must hit so different being married. I and did. I watched and I watched it through that lens and was like, it does. You're right. It does, and it's incredible. <laughs> It's so good. Like, we're watching what would be, like, maybe a lesson, like, and Jed is watching, like, real life. Cautionary. Mm. <laughs> like, well, like, cautionary tale. 
<laughs> right, like, right. But like you're so much closer to you know like yeah. you're like I'm watching it like holy shit this is the craziest thing I could imagine, and and you're like just a little like well more you start shit, you know like well the, yeah you start to like analyze the little things that happen every, that you do every day that like yeah. do these contribute to like crazy power dynamics mm-hmm. like in in relationships but let's talk about their wounded blood first because i think it's almost like as close i think we we established that there's a lot of people that have very differing opinions on which movies they like and do not like from paul thomas anderson i think the one thing that is almost unanimous amongst all critics is that their Will be blood is one of the best movies if not the best movie of the 21st century mm-hmm. so so let's let's talk about it i mean are we oil men? I'm an oil man. Yeah. I've traveled across half our state to be with you tonight. So, so can, this is my let's son. Let's start there. I want to. I, I. I. Yeah. Do enough people talk about like? And I'm not saying this in a bad way at all. I'm saying it in a great way. It's an amazing performance. How over the top what Daniel Day Lewis is doing in this movie? Every time he opens his mouth, you're like, oh, he's doing like a bit. It's a. It's a play. <laughs> It's so like this, a play, right? Can we like acknowledge play, that? Yeah. Like I was watching that the other day, and I'm like, this thing, only... performance is incredible. But like, at no point am I like, oh, this is definitely just who he is. But I'm like, this he is just an incredible. Somehow performance. gets away with that constantly. But it's awesome. Like, like he just gets the credit to to just be over the top, right? Like the joke about him is that he's the the guy that yells, right? He's like the scream actor. Well, like. Um, the twinkle in his eye when he says, I don't really like most people. Like, that shit is just, like, it's so clearly, like, you so wouldn't I have just written think, it for him to deliver it that way, but he did it. So, I think what's really fascinating about this movie to me is, um, obviously, it is it is loosely based on the Upton St. Clair uh, oil, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. It feels like, to me, it's the most direct play at like let's make another citizen kane kind of movie where like He's, yeah we're going yeah. to like challenge the idea of power and like what happens to men in power and like what power does and capitalism um like really like weirdly like i mean capitalism is evil in this movie and if you watch it thinking anything else you're a fucking <laughs> I, don't I don't know what you are i'm not gonna I'm not an American. Yeah. I just, think, I, I just think, I don't know. There's like, if there's, this is a clear, he's making a very clear statement in this mm. movie, in my mind. And I think it's, it is ballsy to go make that, go make that statement. Think about the time we're in, right? In the, in the two thousands, uh, oil, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. think about ca- talk capitalism, yep. oil, uh, specifically capitalism. I mean, there's a, there is a lot of like direct things that he is willing to go out of his way to be like, yo, you fucking paying attention mm-hmm. and it works. And it's like, it's so hard to be specifically trying to make poignant points, which I hate that. I just use poignant, poignant points. points, but that, that's your, so I have a segment where I talk about shots and you have poignant points with Jed. Poignant points with Jed. All right, there you go. But I think I think really what it comes down to is like this movie is him making his biggest statement in my mind. 
and yeah. doing it successfully. Um, and it's hard to overlook that. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's trying also, to make an epic, right? He's trying to make an American epic in real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and w- without, you know, he's not trying to be coy about it either. He's very clearly setting out to create a magnum opus and to create, yeah, calling, comparing to Susan Cain, I think is pretty interesting because it is trying to put it at that same level and um, hoist himself uh, and hoist the the project that's about that that's about something so much more than what Boogie Nights at Magnolia and Punch Drunk Club and, and Hard Eight were, which are amazing movies. But now he wants to say something about the world and a, like about our country, but about how we got to where we were. It's it's so yeah. much more sobering. I do think it is very funny. There's a lot of like actually genuinely comedic things that are going on here. Um, it's called a Derek. <laughs> it's called a Derek. <laughs> I love. Oh man, I could just. I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my boy. She's a daughter of these hills. Yeah. yeah. There's a pipeline. That one. <laughs> like you said, it's almost like it's just so memeable. The movie is Very like. Memeable. Yeah. I just. So it does that, right? It does all that, and then there are these moments like when he shoots the guy that's pretending to be his brother. Hmm. And, and buries him when yeah. it's like snaps you out of it and you're like oh shit yeah like that's what this movie does really well is it almost like it's almost like the daniel day lewis performance is intentionally like trying to like lower your defenses like disarm so yeah yeah so when he wants he fucking to, like, hunches around the whole movie he like walks mm-hmm. around so like he a wants cripple. to hit you like it starts even it starts even when he falls in the very first time i open it yeah right like there's no words for how long and yeah, it's a solid, in, like, I think, 14 minutes where there is not a yeah. single one spoken. It's yeah, gorgeous. And he, break, and he breaks his leg, and, like, he goes, <gasps> like, when he hits the ground, like, yeah. like that is over the top. Like, everything about it is, it's it's incredible. So, like, and it works on so many different levels. Like, talk about mm-hmm. weird, interesting father-son relationships. Like, things mm-hmm. that, you know, I think we're all very interested in. I know Chip specifically, and, and I as well. Um, but, like, like this examination of of a i mean a stepfather really yeah um, and his son and and like this idea of like like what is love and and loyalty mm-hmm. and and all that kind of stuff and you it's get like secondary but it hits hard it hits so hard you get such beautiful shots where like in the aftermath of the of the explosion where he's like basically spooning his son and just like trying yeah. to calm him they're both just covered in oil and messy and just on the floor um but you you do feel like he loves his son in that moment yeah. you feel like he's trying to hold him close mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of moments where you think he loves his son yeah yeah and it's like is it was it the imperfections of, of the loss of hearing that caused him to not love his son was it always in him this evil was always going to win over the love that he had you know that that leads to calling him an orphan and a bastard in a basket at the end um i don't i don't know but i i know that we got to we pta is so intentional about showing us the moments where there is love and where he does want to uh hold him close so that the ending hurts that much more and so that you see how uh, the evil wins and how the system wins and how money corrupts all um, and how this this character, this the, it's so intentional. Like 
he is a caricature, right? Daniel Day Lewis, because mm-hmm. he's representing so many things in people. So he has to yeah. be completely enormous. He has to represent political figures for 400 yes. years and represent ideas and concepts. So of course he has to talk like an absolute madman and hunch around and limp around and yell and scream and use these these weird turns of phrases. It, it, there's no other way the movie works without that. Yeah. Really quick, do you think, I mean, did he directly steal the way he says, like, my boy from the guy, the actor that plays Cedric Diggory's dad in Goblet of Fire? That's my boy! <laughs> like, like, that's like when I watch, whenever I watch this movie, I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, it's like the exact same. It's, the, like it's almost the ETA screening that movie. For, and it's like, this know, is what like, we're going watch for. Watch now, this, go. Yeah, 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 this is what we're going for. Evan, sorry, you were about to say something before I made my, you know, completely unnecessary joke. No, that is, it's definitely very funny to think about. And honestly, like, that would be the type of shit that Daniel Day-Lewis, when he comes out with his memoir in 20 years, would say. Be like, yes, I watched The Goblet of Fire, and I really like what, like, this fucking second-rate TV actor did running out of the stands. <laughs> I don't even remember who that is. I feel bad. That's one of the all-time Evan strays. Now, um, <laughs> second-rate TV actor. Um, so <laughs> the most recent time I was watching this movie because sometimes with these like quote-unquote like epics, you know, it, it it's hard to see the director's mark as much. Like you watch The Godfather, and it's really hard to say like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing all these ticks that Coppola does in all his other classics in this movie because it's very different, but it's because it's creating this, like uh, this epic, this, like, I mean, these guys are making masterpieces and like kind of realizing it as they're making it, I think. Um, but in this movie, I was looking for like, where's the PTA in, in all of this? Like where, where is like his mark? And in the midst of all this, like grand storytelling about what it means, what capitalism does to a person, what it means to, to use people, you know, like the way he's using HW throughout this movie, it, it seems. This is my boy, HW. The, the amount of times, this is a family operation. The <laughs> amount of times, the amount of times that he also will like slow pan in to the Derek and slow mo up to a guy's hand, essentially stroking this piece yeah. of machine up and down into the earth. Literally talk about like we've been talking about hand jobs the last few weeks. Literally seeming to give the earth a yeah. hand job to produce something out of the earth. The like, so that's just like in the opening wordless scene where the spike falls from above so fast and drops into the ground and the oil yes. starts to seep up from beneath and it's like yes. oh penetration. Yes. Exactly. There's a lot of like, ooh, yeah. let's pull this thing down. Now we're mm-hmm. back up. And mm-hmm. the camera, you're just like so this movie's two hours and forty minutes. What? Why are we watching this for a minute and fifteen seconds? This man, like, just like jerking off this rope, like you know. So but it, he he definitely point. lingers in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh like, yeah, a lot of lingering. Ling, a lot of lingering. Um, I want to have a quick Paul. Also, Dano hell, conversation. Just, yeah. Uh, you want to have a Paul Dano conversation? Yes, we should. Yes, please. Yeah. Are we satisfied with his career? Because I watched this. I watched this movie, and I'm like. Why is he not in everything? Like he's amazing <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, he's had a oh, good. Daniel's very satisfied with his career. Is what I, I think would so say too. I but think I he's like he's a lot of stuff. Yeah, 
don't I feel know. like I it like, wouldn't surprise me if the, this these kind of movies drain him. It seems like he's a guy who puts his all into this kind of shit or even like a prisoner's, you know, and he has to kind of reset a little bit more maybe. On Deacon's yeah. podcast, like he went on there and Deacon's was like, I watched Paul Dano on Prisoners and I was just like, is this guy okay? <laughs> like, he, like, he was, like he was like locking himself in hotel rooms and like he was just it sounds like he gets very very invested in all yeah. the work also does a lot of stage work i believe that, mm, uh, that i could see that he's got a stage presence no doubt yeah i uh but he's also been in a lot of good stuff if you look you know 12 years a slave um Oak Joe, like he's been in a lot of like just, good big directors and stuff it's but. just hard to feel like he feels like another one of those kind of like guys yeah. that could could have just been like an un like a like grade a character actor like, like could he a, not have been like the 2000s version of like william h macy like yeah, that a hundred percent um but maybe not I, I, obviously i think every time i watch their league blood i'm like i'm blown away by yeah someone that can go toe-to-toe with anyone that can go to toe-to-toe with daniel day lewis and bring the the gusto, I think yeah. is the word, right? That mm-hmm. like Dano De Lewis, like it's over the top without feeling too corny. Yeah. And and Dano does that. Like that final scene in the bowling alley is just is that is that is that the the PTA scene? Like is that his career? Like when we look back, like right when PTA I, I, when PTA passes eventually. And we're watching. We're old and gray, and we're watching the Oscars. And they play, you know, the PTA Remembrance thing. Is is that the scene that we remember? I don't know. That's a great question. I I have to say, just in doing some research, just to see what other people are saying, it's funny how a few different reviews that I read from prominent writers referenced that scene at the time in 2007 as being like kind of a black mark on the movie. Really? I, I saw multiple people say, like, this was a masterpiece and it was such, like, a, a like a methodical build. And it kind of, like, went from being a masterpiece to just being, like, a really great entertaining movie in that last scene. And I don't agree with that at all. I just thought it was interesting how that was, like, a couple of people's takes. I don't know. Uh, like, maybe in, they... like, the times and stuff. Like, not I'm not talking about just, like, some random, like person on rotten tomatoes like that's actual... so weird because i honestly like the way i view i view that scene is especially after like the final scene with hw um is like what happens with hw finally sends him over the edge to the place that he's been wanting to go the place that he's maybe dipped his toe and he just dives into the pool you know in that of like scene. being a madman yeah above madness mm. complete madness um i mm. view it as like the 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 final straw that broke the camel's back right like the Mm -hmm. final scene just is the culmination of everything that we see of just like dude you know i I guess if the message of the movie is what does capitalism create and it's it's madness and greed and that's kind of and just pain and death and i mean like yeah so it is like i'm a sick fuck so it's kind of satisfying to see Paul Dano say I'm a I am a false prophet and I have yeah. shit and I it's love, like I love I, that it's so great and it is satisfying because you the movie sets you up to hate him right it really does it sets you up to hate him more than it sets you up to hate uh to hate Daniel Plainview who is yeah. 
clearly perpetrated more evil onto the world. Um, and yet at the end, you're like, yeah, you should bash his brains in with a bowling pin and you should spill his blood, um, blood that runs black like oil um, onto. I'm all, onto I'm all done. I'm all done. I'm finished. And it's such an interesting like. It's almost like he wanted to kill him the whole movie, oh, but he had to yeah. wait until. Well, that's what he says. They are on ba- after the baptism, right? He whispers right. into his ear, right. I, w- "I will eat you." Yeah, mm-hmm. eat you. It, it's almost like he has to wait for him to like join him at a certain level, though, right? And like that last time, him coming and essentially begging for money is like the we are like at least in Daniel Plainview's mind is like, see, we are the same. Right. Like, and, and did, now you finally say, understand I that too. Yeah. Doesn't he say, I beat you? I won. I think yeah. he says at one point, I beat you. Yeah. And, and you know, the gnarliest thing he says in that scene is the shit about his brother. To me, uh, that your brother is the real prophet. Paul is the real prophet. Like, when oh, he, yeah, he like, says he's got a successful business himself now. Like, yeah. yeah. He's like, he came to me with the land. Like, that's almost more, that's more brutal to me than the whole, like, revelation about, like, I just made you do this to, like, make a fool of yourself. I actually drained all the oil. Like, when he takes it the step farther and is like, not only did you just, like, whatever, defame yourself or whatever you think you just did to yourself, but I actually can give credit. I, I ha- I'm capable of giving credit to somebody else in this world, and that person's your brother, <laughs> who basically okay. did, like, the opposite thing of you. Okay, okay. Yeah. We I just looked at the clock. Holy shit. Yeah. All right. We gotta let's talk about Phantom Thread. What's the mm. case for Phantom Thread at number one? Phantom Thread. What a fucking gorgeous movie. Yeah. Um I mean you can you can tell that like PTA is is growing and this isn't I mean, it's it's feels cheap to just say Boogie Nights is immature because it is, but it isn't at the same time. But and then Phantom Thread is in many ways immature. Like there's a lot of juvenile humor running through this movie yeah. the main character's name is reynolds woodcock in the same way that boogie nights is one long dick joke you could argue phantom thread is quite literally one long dick joke they call yeah. it the house of woodcock so many times and yet it does feel like this is pta taking a step back and um taking a step back and looking at his own love life and looking at um how power dynamics work uh, amongst very unique people amongst powerful people um it's it's quite playful at times i think it's shot very elegantly but also kind of fun there's a lot of shots where um he's where like reynolds is driving a car and the camera lean mounted on the back of the car and it's like wiggling with the car's movements and you know it's a 1950s car so it doesn't have a lot of yes <laughs> right and it looks but it looks so good and it's so yeah fun. Um, so this is the only movie he's like been the credited cinematographer for. He didn't yeah. work with Ellswit on this one. Um, and there's actually a quote from Ellswit where he's like, yeah, I didn't like how he shot Phantom Thread. Like I would have shot it differently. And it's like, OK, that's funny. Are um, you serious? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I mean, it's not way, like, Phantom Phantom Thread, like tongue in cheek or Phantom Thread. I, I think might he's be like his, I personally think Phantom Thread is his best shot movie and he shot it himself. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, mean, I you personally could argue I, it is his best. I could see that. Yeah. It seems um, like the most technically proficient. Like most composed, yes, which is funny considering it's so it's... very composed. I think especially we talk a lot about the slow pushes. There's yeah. the, the slow push where um, Reynolds is recovering from his first illness, and the dress for the princess, whatever, had been completed, and he wakes up Alma on the couch, 
and proposes to her and that it's probably six minutes of no break and it is so 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 slow you barely notice it until you realize the dress is completely out of frame mm-hmm. and that you're just looking at at Alma and Reynolds right there yeah. uh, it's it's very precise it can be a little jittery and playful like so it's it plays into it because when Alma first comes to the house there's a lot of a lot more handheld shots and the camera will be a little bit jittery, a little bit playful as she's walking around, as she's getting used to like all of the the traditions of the house and all of yeah. that. Like the, uh, the the scene where she's one of the models walking through, you know, a lot of handled stuff. There, yes. But it, it still feels very carefully handheld. Like mm-hmm. there's a little bit of jitters, but the jitters are precise. And then kind of when it switches is when she makes dinner for him and sends everyone away. And then the rest of the movie, the camera is so steady and still and barely breaks again. So I have a theory on that, and part of it is, like, I feel like when we're first meeting them, he wants us to feel like we're pu- like we're almost part of the crowd that's in the house, like, with them, mm. kind of like we're there, versus, like, the second half of that movie, we are 100% just flies on the wall. Like, Ain't they don't shit. know we're here. They Not that they necessarily knew we were there before, but they knew other people were there, and they knew they were being observed, and they knew they were like putting on some type of show for others, versus in the second half of the movie, the camera gets very still, like you're saying, and sits there, and I think a lot of it is like we're almost just meant to be like a plate that's sitting you know, in the cabinet, mm-hmm. like witnessing this like, di- you know, dynamic happen in front of us. I just mm-hmm. think I, I love that idea. When I think about Phantom Thread, right, to me, the premise um, is not crazy so much as it is just kind of like weird and hilarious, right? It's just it's a dressmaker named Reynolds Woodcock falling Mm -hmm. in love with a waitress. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the way that he's able to deliver such real emotion – hauntingly uh like modern and relevant uh, mm-hmm. ideas of relationships and power dynamics like this yeah. movie is to me as a as a man in a young marriage uh, as scary as it is charming <laughs> and wonderful um it, i mean it's a cautionary tale it, sure. of of how to act, how not to act. I don't, I don't know. I just think the, this is the movie that the more, and this is again, where there's going to be a very, very like almost punny thing. The more you pull at the thread of mm. main thread, the more you find to enjoy mm-hmm. um, and, and ponder on, not just enjoy. You, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit, like what, what could you, what type of movie even is this? Um, so to me, this movie is actually one of his more pop, like poppy type movies, and I don't think lots of people view it that way. And and I hope more people I do see this movie. I agree. So I think some of the closest comps to this movie, as far as like motivations and stuff or characters themes go, would literally be like, and I know this sounds crazy, would be like early two thousands rom coms where the guy just doesn't want to settle down. He's one of those guys who's like, I'm never gonna get married because like. I just want to sleep, you know, in those types of movies, the guy would just be like, well, I just want to sleep with different women every night. Right. But there's like very similar dynamics at play with, Mm -hmm. with Reynolds Woodcock and, um, Alma 
in this in that movie as far as like a quote unquote taming and like mm. what that means, what like assimilation into a certain life means, and mm. it's just and it's honestly just as funny as lots of like movies it's that are so made funny. to be comedies. So, um, funny. but obviously has like a lot more ideas about human connection and like what did it you means. come here with a gun to kill me is that what you're here for are you an agent are you a spy are you, are you dude, going to kill me what what does he say when he fucking eats the what does he say like i'm just admiring my own like um i'm admiring my own gallantry i'm admiring my own gallantry for eating the- <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah he's such a bastard he just is such a, a bastard dick. in this movie um it's so he seems so frail in this movie. Like I yeah. think that's such a huge like even the way he speaks, like from the beginning of the movie, is there's like a frailty and a gentleness to it. Um, yeah, he very clearly he doesn't do any of the outdoor activities with Alma on their honeymoon. Um, you know, he's like, I'm gonna sit while you climb this mountain. Um, and then like, you know, he says he he literally tells her on the first day, he's like, I'm very strong, and she's like, You're not strong. She tells him, she's like, You are not strong. You say you are strong. You pretend you are strong. But you're not. And she has to prove that to him um, via mushroom. Uh, and it's the way that it goes back. It's so, I mean, again, to be a little cheeky and go back to the master, Amy Adams was actually the master, right? Like, she was actually, like, the House of Woodcock is actually Alma. Like, she's the one who really, you know, kind of has, has the power here. Um, and that's that's a fun little comparison to draw. Again, you can... I think there. I think so many of the other movies bleed into this one. Like the uh, the parallels from like Jack as filmmaker and Boogie Nights being the controlling master, the uh, the the craft behind it. To Reynolds Woodcock in this movie, I think there's a lot of parallels you can you can draw there. Um, the sister dynamic with Cyril and Reynolds. Yeah, you can draw should we talk about that? Love. Talk yes. About about Cyril because what She's a. Great. What an absolute dynamite performance that Leslie gives. I think I personally think that's my favorite performance of of that movie. Wow, is Les, Leslie Manville as Cyril? Like she's like the grounding in the movie to me. Like she's so the same. Like there's a level of composure um, that is main that she maintains, um, which I think is like I don't know. I think what I love about this movie is I, it still in some ways is a mystery of what I get out of it. Hmm. And that it it hits me in a very different way than the first time I saw it, than the last time I saw it. This is the movie I've probably seen the second most. I've seen Boogie Nights the most, and I've seen this the second most, and probably There Will Be Blood the third most. Well, those are all, obviously all you know near the top for me, so mm-hmm. I would Masterpieces. be... Yeah, and I would, I would, you know, it's funny as I would, I'd be interested to see what what happens when I spend more time with some movies that I currently have down the bottom of the list. Am I going to feel this way about every Paul Thomas Anderson film? Because that's what he does, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, man, this this movie, like, I'm I'm very okay with putting this at number one. Mm, Evan has a point. No, I'm in agreement. I think <gasps> I. I I was like I want to put this at one, but I was like, is that just sacrilege? Because there will be blood. I think legitimately does have a case for being like the best movie since two thousand. Like, but no, I, I'm with fun. you guys. I think Phantom Thread God, one is is well, the play. I think you know what we we did the most chalk Indiana Jones list we could do, and we saved the surprises for the the PTA pod. 
Hell yeah. We got to give the people, we give the people what they need, not necessarily what they want, but we're giving yeah. them what they need here. We're giving you the cold hard facts. Let, let me read off our, our, our list at what we've, we're in agreement at. Number eight, hard eight. Number seven, inherent vice. Number six, punch drunk love. Number five, Magnolia. Number four, The Master. Number three, Boogie Nights. Number two, There Will Be Blood. And number one, Phantom Thread. God I damn love, it. I personally love that list. It's not that crazy different from what I, I had as my personal list. I love this. I love this list. I'm very happy with this. List. I'm into it. I love, man. It's, I think it's great that we have two DDLs at the top two. I think that that's smart. I think it makes sense. I think um, I would, what a one-two combo. DDL legacy real quick. Like I, We talked about, about him being over the top and stuff. I want to talk about his legacy really quick before we wrap up. Uh, he's seemingly retired, right? From Yep, seems so, to be. So what... Is he in the conversation for the, the greatest on-screen actor of all time i mean yeah yes where yeah, do you guys pers- where do you guys personally rate him do you think he's he's there for you it'd be hard to dispute i mean i don't know i think and it's so other, interesting <laughs> what i was gonna say real quick before i want you to finish your point but the other thing about pta is like does it is there a level of like you look at who he's worked with Mm-hmm. everyone's phenomenal mm-hmm. like i go down the list of people that are the leads or are are you know big parts of the ensembles of his of his cast and it's like he, like we have to love him because all these people that seemingly really know what they're doing that have done great things that are you know relatively protective of their careers have worked with this guy and put his his their trust in him right so yeah uh, anyway chip i want you to finish what we were talking about daniel day lewis um there's a moment in phantom thread where pta shoots him like he's marlon brando in the godfather um it's a it's a quick moment but the way that the light is on his face, the way that his gray hair is like coming out to the side a little bit, mm-hmm. and the way he like looks away, it's <laughs> it is very. In that shot, I haven't seen that shot in a PTA movie before, and he he he's giving a lot of Brando, and Brando isn't. They're very different performers. Brando was a guy who you know had to read cue cards while reading his lines. Like he he's <laughs> not a method actor at all, like Daniel Day Lewis is, but the um levels that they bring to their performances and the way that they actually inhabit and create the characters albeit through different methods but the way that they um, bring them to life and give them an everlasting legacy is very similar so in that for that reason alone you have to put ddl with the greats and you want to parse it out you want to get down to specifics he's he's got to be top five all time at least for me if not higher um it helps that he has worked with my favorite director as well. So <laughs> you just, you put those two together and I'm going to be biased towards his roles and towards, um, and, and towards his legacy. But man, I, I personally, I would probably put the, there will be blood performance above it because I think it was more challenging and more daunting to take on something like that, but it's almost as equally daunting to take on a more frail role to take on an ultimately kind of, 
um, sunken and, and, and hollow role that you have to uh, to stoop yourself down into a little bit with Phantom Thread. Yeah. I personally, I personally rate the Phantom Thread performance more. Like mm. it's like there will be blood is like so clearly like, hey, we're giving you the chance to just go for it and like yeah. be over the top. Phantom Thread is like, I don't know, it feels more like late stage, uh, mm. you know, reserved, mature, um, thoughtful. Not that it wasn't thoughtful in, in there will be blood, but like we say, we talk mm-hmm. about it, it is over the top. Right, in yeah. a great way, in a great way, but it's over the top, right? He's going for it. He's yeah. going for an Oscar type performance. Mm-hmm. Phantom Thread, it, it to me, he is Reynolds Woodcock. He's not Daniel Day Lewis going for an Oscar. Yeah, I do love. There's a moment in Phantom Thread where he actually, I think they're doing like a photo shoot, him and Alma, and he actually says, "Have I finished yet?" And it's like, "Oh, you're doing the thing from <laughs> early. Uh, yeah, I see what you're doing here." <laughs> there's a moment. I think it's the first photo shoot they do. I can't even remember what he says, but just the way he's lounging on the ground next mm-hmm. to her, where he's clearly out of frame, and he's just like, I, can't, I don't even remember what he said because I'm just. So I think that, that's where he his, says, "Have I finished?" His, that's, is that what he says? Yeah, it just. I mean, I'm just so enamored with his body language in that moment. Yeah, he's like, yeah. Can I, we I'm talk about his order at breakfast? <laughs> Yeah, no one has ever ordered – and I, I have half a mind to think that he improvised that because no one would ever write on the page the amount of things that that man ordered when he sat down for breakfast. When he at the end says, and some heavy cream, you're just like, really? You need the yeah. heavy cream also? <laughs> yeah. Like how are you How are you this skinny also? You're clearly a frail and like, like – emaciated almost man you have no skeleton and you are ordering uh the way i read the way i read that is like he's just ordering so much to show that he's like wealthy like to like boast like i can order all this food and i don't even have to finish it i'm just ordering anything that might tickle my fancy right you know and also hunger is related to like sexual desire and love in the movie as well hunger and thirst are like like They're both in the way with affection and stuff, even very tied, very yeah. tied. And, and he lived like also it's tied to the poison. Cause you, he, yeah. he eats the poison. I don't know. Right. I don't know how many mushrooms you're, you're, you're eating lately, Jed. I don't know if mushrooms are, are a part of the uh, food that's being consumed. If you're eating any mushroom egg omelets and just, I don't know, just be careful. Um, but that's, it, it all plays in it, it yeah, all ties true. together and it, it I, starts with that food order. And then there's like the moment where, like he, like they're telling each other they're hungry at that dinner, and then they drive home really fast to yeah. get fuck. And then yeah. the hunger plays in with the mushrooms, and you eat, and then kissing my girl before I'm sick, and then holy. Fuck. So maybe so he's ordering like a feast of food. Like I didn't really think about it, but maybe he's like ravenous, mm-hmm. right? Because he's like alone it's, at that time and like empty, and he's is, just kind of horny. He's definitely I'm, very horny, and I think it's also very impressive how charming he is like it's so believable mm-hmm. why somebody would be charmed by him in that moment sure um and obviously it's very clear at that time why he would be into somebody like her they show her tripping and stuff like very much he's into the power dynamic and of course that's flipped and that's quote unquote the movie right like that's mm-hmm. the whole movie is that being flipped but um i i do love you don't often see him get to do that in movies mm-hmm. like just kind of be Without being incredibly imposing visually, be like 
kind of frail but incredibly charming and just seem like somebody who's very magnetic um, mm-hmm. yeah. is often not his place in movies, I feel like. Yeah, and of course, finally, we can't forget, you know, no one's ever written in a tiny notebook better. Yes. Which is like, Come in, back my to mind, the in, in my the, mind, that is, that is the reason that Phantom Thread yeah. uh, is ahead of There Will Be Blood is because his tiny notebook writing is just a little bit better. Dude, in, when he's drawing the dress. Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah, absolutely yeah. incredible. And, uh, I mean, my final thing on Phantom Thread is uh, the shot of them dancing at the New Year's party with the balloons falling around them. I mean, that's... Is that shot. the scene? I mean, if we want to talk about... That's... Okay. Fucking hell. So, this maybe has less to do with PTA and more to do with, like, Hollywood and period pieces and 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 the way that we like... Like, Hollywood loves history. I do agree with you, Evan. I think that's the scene. Hmm. Is that like that's the that's the shot right that they show when PCA is is gone? That's the shot. It's or it's heart wrenching. I'm literally misty eyed right now thinking about it's it. Up there, I know it's incredible. I mean, the way Either that shot, or it's actually yeah. probably that I think about it. It's the the explosion. It's the the fire and like the silhouette of well the back yeah back yeah, shot oil. yeah 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 I mean that that's like the encapsulation of like right of of the themes that he brings and like yeah. I mean if isn't we're gonna call that his no one can get this oil but me exactly yeah but isn't like this the what fire we love about up in front of his guys he can this is what we love about him is he can do this like clearly like huge epic right mm. where like the shot is back shot of daniel day lewis with this explosion of oil and fire mm-hmm. uh and he can also do tracking shots through a a party at like you know filled with porn stars yeah he can also do the sister christian scene yeah like, I mean, how is that the same guy who did the new year's eve in in yeah. Fantasy thread like that's a that's a real incredible it's like like, we love we love marty right we all love marty but like pta is not rolling out gimme shelter like 50 times in a row he doesn't need he doesn't need to do that (laughs) he rolls out a man seven times in magnolia he literally has his main characters sing amy (laughs) but he does it in one uh, in one movie i'm just saying like you're right i I see Um, you're 100 he he like Marty will always he will he's rolled out Gimme Shelter in the seventies, he'll roll it out in the twenty twenties. Um and it seems like I hope that's the opening, the opening Although we'll see what his new killer of the flower moon is Gimme Shelter. Oh, I would literally yeah, lose back, my mind. I it would takes, it takes I'd place in nineteen twenties before the movie even finished. <laughs> <laughs> it takes place in nineteen twenties Oklahoma and the opening shot is Jason Isbell on horseback and <laughs> Gimme Shelter rolls. Give me just Clemens fucking singing Gimme Shelter with like a banjo on the back of a horse. That's what he needs to do. That's what he needs to do to one up PTA for me. Is I need I need Jesse Clemens to sing shipping shipping up to Boston yeah. while on horseback with Leo in doing middle, vocals. In the middle of Great Depression, Oklahoma. Yes. Jesse Clemens is singing shipping up to Boston. Yes. I would lose my mind. I would like that's when we would officially reach like Marty's too self-aware. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we wouldn't even need to do a pod at that point because Marty would just yeah. be doing the pod while <laughs> while filming. Yeah, 100%. He's, he's cracking his own jokes, so yeah. he's in the middle of making the movie. Uh, all right, guys. Well, awesome. this was 
exactly what we predicted. A yep. two-hour pod. Uh, I want a really quick rundown our, our final list one more time. Mm-hmm. Number eight, Heart Eight. Number seven, Inherent Vice. Number six, Punch Drunk Love. Number five, Magnolia. Number four, The Master. Number three, Boogie Nights. Number two, There Will Be Blood. And number one, Phantom Thread. I honestly couldn't be happier with this list. I think this is like a it's a not by the book list. Um, mm-hmm. I think it is a uh, a challenging but insightful. I think we brought we brought a lot of uh, you know interesting differing opinions. I would like to specifically shout out both of you guys. Uh, I think made me even think about these movies in retrospect in a different way, and I'm actually excited to just go back and and watch them again and again and again and again and again. So. Yeah. Me too. Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't point out that Paul Thomas Anderson is uh, releasing a movie this year. It is tentatively called Soggy Bottom. It is a coming-of-age story in the 1970s in the Valley. So we're we're back. We're back, we're back. to the to the and it's starring Bradley Cooper. So it's like yeah, very starring Bradley very, Cooper. Very optimistic about what this yes. could be. And I think uh, maybe the final emotional note is that uh, Cooper Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, is uh, making, I think, his debut role in this film. And I think he's going to be a primary character. So um, that's awesome. I think he may even be I think he may be the high school student who's coming of age and trying to break into the film industry. And that's that that's going to make me pretty uh, uh, misty eyed again. in the theater. So, um, you know, PTA, he's an asshole, but he's uh I think I think he's got a lot of love in his heart too. Yeah, sentimental asshole. Yeah, uh, he's apparently in the starring role. Wow. So, I think, I mean, uh, here's the thing: is we know one thing for sure, PTA wouldn't do this just because. Like this, yeah. Cooper Hoffman has to has to have chops, and um, I'm excited. Uh, I'm nervous for my own emotions, so like mm-hmm. I'll probably just cry when the when the credits roll and it's a starring. Cooper Hoffman, I'll lose my mind. Um, but I'm really excited. I think that'll be uh, that'll be great. We'll do a pod when that finally releases yeah, we'll, we'll in, do in that. Uh, November around Thanksgiving time. We'll give thanks for the gift of PTA. Absolutely. Um, anyway, guys, thank you so much as always for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Flick and Scream on Instagram at Flicking Screaming. Like, subscribe, share with your friends. Hit us up on Twitter. Let me let us know what your individual rankings are. Um, I think we all had slightly different um, individual rankings, and I would love we should to hear drop kind of, those. Yeah, we'll put those out. Yeah, I would love to hear what what you guys what you guys think. Um, you know, PTA is obviously a very important filmmaker. Next week, what are we doing next week? To beside Mean Girls, I think we yeah. decided Mean Girls. I'd be good with Mean Girls. That's a yeah, that nice sounds good to me. Break. Yeah, I think it would be it would be kind of a fun and yeah. chill. Next week, we're going to take a little bit of of a step back from PTA, and we're going to do just a back-to-school movie. You know, people are getting back back to school. What better way to celebrate uh, than go with a high school classic Mean Girls? Mm. We're going to dive deep um, into the politics. I'm sure sure Chip has got some, some sort of um, you know, Mean Girls uh, has a communist agenda, you know, situation going on. I, I, I can't wait to hear the theories behind it. Um, yeah, saying be- fetch is good praxis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, with that being said. We have to go. We have to go. Uh, we have bad. to go. I'm Jed Sprague. 
This has been Flicking and Screaming. Evan Fagundes, JT Chipman, thank you guys so much for your insight as always. We will see you guys next week. See ya. See ya, everybody.